Well, amen. Good evening. Now, I just need you to know, I need you to respond a little better than that. Good evening. We really could just go home after that last song because that really is what we need to know about parenting. Draw me close, Lord. Teach me to abide in you. And then we know that we simply must depend on him. Well, I'm Paul. This is Kimberly. We're the Purvises. We come to you from Tampa, Florida, where we've lived the last 12 years, and uh, I pastor Mission Hill Church, which is kind of a unique church near the University of South Florida. When we gather on Sunday morning, we'll have between 60 and 70 nations that make up our congregation. It's way more diverse than anything I could have imagined when I grew up in a small town in South Carolina. We are a family now that has grown. We have six children, thanks to a daughter-in-law coming into our family in the last almost two years. We're going to tell you about that as we go this evening. But first, let me just say thank you for the opportunity to be here. I'm so grateful for your pastor, my friend James. You may not realize this. I was actually his drill instructor back when he was in boot camp many, many years ago, about 20 years ago. Uh, when he, he was just starting in ministry, he, uh, we had an opportunity to serve the Lord together. Um, it, it's so encouraging to see what God's doing in and through this church. And so we're blessed to be here with you this evening. We've got two main times with you, and so we want to make the most of those. So we're, we're going to kind of just dump it out on you. And this first session we're calling Growing Kids God's Way. Now, that, that title's not original to us, but it's very specific and has clear intent to us. I'm going to let Kimberly tell you why. Hey there. So when we were um, first starting out in our parenthood, we had a, our first son, Micah. And when he was born, he um, came with some struggles. Uh, some doctors like to call it colic. And he would literally cry and scream. But you know, he, in the doctor's words, had the strongest case that he'd ever seen. <laughs> he would not only do that little three-hour period of time that a lot of uh, colic babies have or experience, but he would do it all day long and all night long. What we later found out is that he was just hurting that he had um, reflux that was being undiagnosed. But during that time, we were just young parents and just doing anything and everything we could think of to raise this baby, comfort this baby, do anything we could. And we had some good friends that came into town. We loved them. They are just, and they still are our great friends. But they came into town and they also were new parents. And they had all kinds of great ideas on the perfect way to parent. <laughs> and those were not the things we were doing. And so as our baby continued to cry and we were feeling more and more like a failure and they were talking about how great their baby sleeps through the night and this and this and this and this and how it just worked fantastic and we had to do it. But there was something in our gut that just told us that this wasn't the right plan for us or for this child. And it began just kind of a journey of uncertainty and um, just doubt, kind of where do we fall in this parenting style or where do we fall into this parenting journey? Yeah, and they came, our friends Johnny and Tanya, they came and, and they had books and everything. And the books were entitled Growing Kids God's Way. 
And, and so if you're not doing it that way, I mean, you must be messing up, right? That's important because we want you to understand we're not coming to you claiming to be model parents. In fact, uh, if ever you hear that, you need to be careful because when you look that word up in the dictionary, model just simply means a, a poor imitation of the real thing. So that's not what we're trying to be. That's not who we are. We do want you to know we've walked through a little bit. This summer, we'll celebrate 30 years of marriage. We, we do have several children that uh, call us mom and, and dad. And, and we recognize that's kind of important when you, when you look to how do you do this thing. When I was coming into adulthood, probably the most well-known Christian parenting expert was a single man who had never had children. And it's no surprise that as time went by, some of his standards, some of the things he suggested began to be questioned by those who were actually out there on the front lines doing this. Now, that's important because we want to set some ground rules as we get started. In fact, everything we're going to talk about, we're going to cover in the context of Romans chapter 8. And on Sunday morning, I'm going to just dump out Romans 8 on you as quick as I can. And it's, it's one of the best chapters in all the Bible. And it's got that very familiar verse. A lot of you know it, Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good uh, to those who are the called, those who love God. Uh, and they, they work out for our good and for his glory, right? That, that's, we cling to that. We hold on to that. But, but some of you may not realize that Romans 8 is full of theology and doctrine that helps us in our daily life. In fact, the, the first verse of Romans chapter 8, I just want you to look at that. It says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So Romans 8 begins with this principle, no condemnation. I want you to say those two words with me. Say no condemnation. That's important. It's so important in our faith. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, as hard as this is to understand, there is therefore no condemnation that can be found in you. It's also important in parenting and in the home, right? In our home, that's, that's kind of an understanding that we've had with our children. There's not going to be a time where you are condemned by us. In, in fact, God's word gives us a lot of instruction about that, specifically us fathers. It says, don't exasperate your children in this way, right? So no condemnation, but it's also important for our time together this weekend because we've sat where you're sitting <laughs> and, and we know what it's like to think, crud, man, are we getting anything right? Or, or are we beyond help? Have, have we failed? Or, or how do we go forward? And we want you to know that is not the purpose of this time. So say those two words again. Say no condemnation. no condemnation. So the principle there is that failure is is not fatal and it and it certainly need not be final. Or it is not final and it need not be fatal in your life. Uh, those of you that are parents, raise your hand if you've had some parenting failures. Right? We're all in the same boat. We know what it's like to be getting one child off of the goofy ride at Disney and to look up and realize the three-year-old is missing. 
We, we have lost a child at Disney. How many of you have heard the stories about what happens when you lose a child at Disney? All these things running through our mind. They're taking them in underground tunnels. They're cutting their hair. They're changing their clothes. We know what it's like to run around panic looking for our child. No, 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 no. Security will tell you as they're walking up to you and you yeah. are running around scared to death that your child is gone yeah. forever and they'll say, okay, they'll take them to the bathroom. They'll dye their hair. They'll shave their head. They'll change their clothes. What kind of shoes? They always forget the shoes. Like, what? And so this is what we're greeted with as our child yeah, is We're running missing, through Mickey's house. had to be three hours. We're looking, running through, it was about probably 12 minutes, but we were looking through, <laughs> running through Mickey's house, calling his name. And fortunately, he came walking up with an ice cream cone with a security guard. So that story ended well. But we understand that failure uh, is not final and it need not be faithful. Fatal, But Romans 8 ends with another verse I want you to understand that kind of sets the tone. And that is um, verse 38 and verse 39. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What's the second principle? No separation. Say no separation. You see, this is important in our relationship with God, right? We understand that individually. If you've come to that place where you've stepped across the faith line, where you've answered the call, where, where God has chosen you to be a part of his family, and you said, yes, I choose you, Jesus, and, and you are a part of the family of God. You're a follower of Jesus Christ. And according to Scripture, the Holy Spirit of God has sealed you until the day of redemption. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. You can't outrun the reach of God's love. Isn't that good news? Well, some of you need to tell your vocal cords. That's good news. But that is good news. It's also good news in a family. And, and so that's kind of been one of the ground rules in our family. Nothing you do is going to make mom and dad not love you. You can't outrun the reach of our love. And in fact, that's a good principle for our time together. We, we want you to see we're, we're two sinners saved by grace who love each other, and who are parents. And, and we've just come this weekend from Central Florida to love you through this. We just want to love you through this opportunity to steward well this gift of parenting that, that God has given to us. Um, so, I, I want you to think about something as, as we walk through our time together. Think about how the Bible begins. The Bible begins with the story of two children who are in a perfect environment. They have a perfect parent, and yet they still rebel and make sinful choices. That's where we need to begin a parenting conference. I mean, do you understand that? Adam and Eve, in case you're slow, the crown of God's creation, he formed them. I mean, he did surgery on Adam, and he made Eve, and Adam woke up and said, whoa, man, I mean, this is awesome. And yet, how long did it take them? They couldn't blame their circumstances. They couldn't blame, blame the stress of life. But, but sin entered in, and, and they rebelled. Why? This is important, because you need to understand this before we get into anything else. There are other forces besides you at work. 
There's evil in this world. And, and the Bible says of this in, in the book of First Peter, be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So all of that is to say we understand the stakes. I, I think we have a realistic view of this. And so we want to pray for you. <laughs> We want to pray that God would just use this time for his glory in your lives. We're praying that for ourselves. We're praying that God would give us those things we need that we don't have, that he would teach us what we've not yet learned, but we desperately need to know it, and that he would make us different because we've met together. So before we do anything else, I wonder, Kimberly, would you just pray for us? Precious Father, you are such a good, good Father. We thank you for the love that you lavished on us, your grace, your forgiveness, your holiness. And um, we just come as truly just humbled hearts. You've given us such precious gifts. You created family and children. And we know that you even love them more than we do. And Lord, we, we wanna grow them to honor you. We want, we want to do this right but yet we don't have the answers. I pray that you help us this week just to feel your presence. Maybe that's whether or not we're feeling lonely and alone in these decisions, in the daily work of life, whether it's a rebellious child or a weary, weary mom and a weary, weary dad. Maybe it's marriages that need just the breath, your breath of life, Lord, Lord, I just pray for the families that are represented in this room. I just pray that you work. <laughs> How amazing it would be to know that, that people came to a parenting conference, but they found you, that we found revival, that our hearts were renewed with, with your spirit, Lord, because that's really what our home needs. That's what our children need. Lord, I just pray that, that you meet us, you meet each one of these individuals in this room right where they need to be met, that you would give us words to say that would honor you and, and honor what you want us to learn this weekend. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. No matter how deep our faith, in spite of our best efforts, as we open God's word, one thing becomes clear. There's no simple formula for parenting. It, it's just not that easy. The things you're dealing with, um, how do I talk to my child about what they're learning in school about gender fluidity? It, it's hard to find chapter and verse that addresses that specifically, right? But for at least the last quarter of a century, how do I talk to children about the reality of pornography? and the dangers it holds. A lot, lot of principles, biblical principles, but it, it's hard to, to look exactly and find these things. And, and you could go on and on. Discipline, sure, there's some, there's some comments about discipline, but more what we find is biblical principles. Tomorrow, when we gather in the morning, we're going to spend some time just dishing out some of those key biblical principles that have been helpful to us. And, and frankly, in your breakout sessions, I think that's part of what you're doing as well. You're looking at some of these biblical principles 
that, that set the context. One of those that we all know is found in Proverbs. Proverbs, you know, most of that was written by Solomon who asked of God, hey, could I just have wisdom? And God said, hey, because if you ask of this, I'm gonna give you wisdom and a lot of other stuff. And so here's Solomon. Many would consider him the wisest man apart from Jesus who ever walked the earth. Listen to what he says, Proverbs 22, 6. Start children off on the way they should go and even when they're old, you know the rest of it, what? Yeah, they're, they're not going to turn from it. By the way, you know the name of any of Solomon's children? <laughs> He's got one named Rehoboam. Do you know anything about Rehoboam? He became one of the most wicked kings in all of history. And, and so here's the guy who has the, this biblical knowledge, and yet some things have gone awry. So before we even get into those biblical principles, we want to introduce you to what I'm calling some life realities. And that's going to take up our time tonight, really just walking through these three life realities that affect all of us. The first life reality we're calling this, this is us. <laughs> this is us. Because we believe as you look at parenting, even as a follower of Christ and as you open the scripture, the first thing you've got to do, you've got to have an understanding of who you are. You may walk into parenting unprepared, but you're not going to walk into parenting empty-handed. I, I travel probably too much. I, I just returned from Africa and was making my way at different times through way too many airports. And like some of you who travel a lot, I'm always pulling a bag. But the truth is, all of us go through life pulling bags, don't we? We've all got our baggage. And you go into a marriage and you come into parenting with baggage. That is us. That is, that is who we are. You bring you. That's the way it works. In fact, that's the way it's supposed to work. Genesis chapter 2 sets this out. And if you're looking for kind of a marriage and family principle that just overarches everything, this is it. Because God speaks it here in the book of Genesis. And then Jesus affirms it in the context of marriage. And the apostle Paul, when he's addressing marriage to the early church, he repeats it. It's the same thing. It's Genesis 2 and verse 24. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united with his wife and they become one flesh. So it's this principle of oneness, this idea that God takes from two separate places and he brings and molds them together to become one. But if you don't understand those two separate things that are coming together, boy, you are in for a wake-up call. Kimberly and I, we met on the first day of seminary. She was at seminary, I was there. It took me about 1.4 seconds to recognize I need to get to know this young lady. It took me about two seconds to realize after looking around at the number of men at seminary and the number of women at seminary, I need to get to know her now. I remember, I think on the second day, I was standing with my friend Andrew. We had just met at seminary. I was standing outside my apartment, and she came driving by in her little blue Honda CRX. And I said, Andrew, there goes my future wife. <laughs> and that was about 32 years ago. But we came together, though with similar backgrounds, from different families. 
Yes, we did. I'm actually, he mentioned that he's from South Carolina. I'm actually from Texas, so howdy. And um, I, our stories, both of our stories are similar, which is so unusual. I mean, we both come from ministries, ministry homes. We both have one brother. That brother, his brother's nine years older. My brother's eight years older. Um, we, um, our parents, our fathers in ministry were both at the same church for many, many years. I mean, when your dad. 32 years. 32 years. And my dad was 42 years at the same church, different churches, but at the same church. So we had so many similar, um, upbringings. Um, we had the, just the blessing of being in homes where the, um, our parents stayed married. Um, they both um, I'm sorry, I just lost my dad last month. So my parents were married 63 years, and your parents were married just over 60. Just over 60. Um, his dad passed away a few years ago, and um, they set up so many wonderful things in our lives, so many important uh, lessons and it modeled in such a great way marriage and and um, and family, yet you know they made mistakes, and of course there was things when we became married that you know we just knew we weren't you know that wasn't going to happen in our marriage you know that wasn't going to happen with our children we wanted to do things a little different way, but also I would say just life. I look back when we were talking about this and just reflecting on how not only my childhood and maybe the things that that helped develop me in a great way of who I am and then in a not so great way. Things that my, my unit family experienced, but maybe I even outside of that experienced in growing up and how I brought that not only into our marriage, but as a mother. You know, people talk about their dreams when they get older and what they want to be. And I really just wanted to be a wife and a mom. And that sounded so simple. <laughs> That's all I really wanted to be. And then I had this precious baby who was sick <laughs> and in my arms, and I felt hopeless or helpless. I had, all, I had all the Bible knowledge right in front of me. The answers were all in front of me, but I wasn't really going to that. And I am a number one because of experience in my life. I am a, you know, here I am. I am Kimberly Purvis. I am a control freak. I am just, I need things to be in control. But I look back on that now and, and say, me trying to control the outside things and the things that were gonna hurt their heart, I can't do that, only God can do that. I, I've gotta lay that at his feet. And, um, and so that, I didn't, I just wanted to share one thing that I brought to motherhood that I look back now and realize really came from experiences of, and how I was shaped. Um, just from my experiences in life. And, and all of those things do change you, and, and they, they change how you parent. Yeah, so when we look at pictures like these, you're going to see first a picture of Ron and Carrie, my wonderful in-laws, and man, the sweetest man I've ever known. Uh, and then we look at the picture of, of my mom and dad, both in happier times and different times years ago. We recognize today that, uh, man, they gave us so much good, and yet they shaped us in ways we cannot ignore. In fact, 
when you think about scripture, I, I mentioned that first family, they're in the garden, perfect environment, perfect daddy, they blew it. Well, what happened the next generation? I mean, good grief, you just turn the next page in scripture and their kids are a mess. I mean, Cain and Abel, what in the world? And you see just the reality of generational impact on our choices. Why? We reproduce who we are, not who we want to be. And I guess that's something we want you to learn. So we, we said we're going to tell you a little about who we are. Um, before we do that, I want you just to take a moment. If you're here as a couple, then, then take advantage of, of that opportunity. But some of you have spouses that are traveling or you may be a single parent. And take out that journal, pen, pencil, lipstick, mascara, Crayola, or take out your device and your two thumbs. And, and I want you to just jot down what are some of those things you know that's in your baggage. What did you bring into this? Now, we could be talking about marriage. That's not really what we're doing here. That's a whole nother conference. But what did you bring in that's affected your parenting? Now, as we do this, if you are here with your spouse, let me give you a warning. Like you should hear, beep, beep, beep. Guys, generally, if we ever utter these words, you're acting just like your mom. We don't do that in a positive context. So just be careful how you word things. Really, it's best for you to word things about yourself. What are you bringing in to this that's now affecting how you go forward? Let's take just two minutes and do that right now. you're wrapping that up, one of the things I've noticed is my dad, who was a Marine and a very strong type A leader, um, man, in my life, they always expected my very best, pretty high expectations. 
Um, I don't think I realized until much later in life how that impacted me in both good and challenging ways and then how that came through in my relationships with other people, that perfectionist type tendency. Uh, these last couple years as I'm now parenting also my mother, I realized that was coming as much from her that I felt even as a child whether or not I could live up to her expectations. And so I really was getting a double dose of that. And now as I look back, unfortunately, some of it too late, I, I poured some of that out into our family. And as he said that my dad was the sweetest man on earth, I, across the country, was getting breakfast in bed every morning, <laughs> which worked good and bad. So we were similar but different. So uh, before we go to this next life reality, Kimberly, uh, bring up the picture of our family, and then let's let you tell them a little bit about the Purvis Pack. There's my family. Um, we have four boys, which we've said they were um, birthed to us. We have Micah. He is now 27 and teaches English in Orlando. Um, we have Caleb Purvis, who's about to be 24, and he just got married two years ago to my sweet daughter, Rebecca. Um, she's right behind Paul in the picture. Is she, she's so beautiful, just inside it out. You talk about, sometimes I remember even being the mom that was like, oh, I don't want my babies to grow up. Like they're growing up and they're leaving. And then you get those moments when you watch God answer your prayers and send this beautiful bride to your son and watch that glow in his eyes and, and all those wonderful things that happen that you get to experience with them as they grow up. And she is one of those greatest blessings. And then we have Noah with the long curly hair in the back. He is a junior at Palm Beach Atlanta University. And uh, Luke, who is our baby, and he is a freshman at Palm Beach Atlanta University. And they are just best buddies and um, just enjoying life to its fullest right now. And we couldn't be more proud of each of them. And as I said, my, our baby is 19. And if you notice, there's a little girl right beside um, him, and her name is Anaya, and she just turned 10 years old, and I'm going to let Paul uh, talk about how Anaya came into our life. So with four boys, we felt like our quiver was full, as scripture says. I mean, we've, we've done our job. Uh, my job was also to pastor a church. One of the things we did uh, in our church about seven and a half years ago, we had this great evening. Church doesn't normally have Sunday evening services, but we had a Sunday evening activity where we partnered with a group called One More Child. They used to be Florida Baptist Children's Homes, and we asked them to come and, and just to kind of inform and educate and encourage us in four areas of, of really ministry of demonstrating the love of Christ in practical ways. And one of those was foster care, like I know a lot in your church are involved in, adoption, again, many of you are involved in that, a human trafficking, anti-human trafficking, and, and the pro-life movement, what could be done in those areas. And, you know, I, James, I don't remember our attendance that day, I don't remember the offerings, but I remember distinctly going home that Sunday night and just saying, man, we did the right stuff today. I mean, this was a James 127 day. This is pure and undefiled religion to take care of the widows and the orphans. I mean, we focused on the right things. And I, I got home. Kimberly, as usual, was there a little before me. And so we were settling in on Sunday night before we went to sleep. I, I looked at her and I said, okay, I just challenged the whole church all day long. I'd preached in the morning and then had that evening. Is, is God saying anything to you? And she said, nope. <laughs> and I said, thank you, Jesus. Me neither. 
Man, we've, again, we've, we've done our job. We got four boys, praise the Lord. And so literally the next morning, I get in the office and about uh, 11 a.m., I get a text. Uh, and the text says, Pastor, uh, do you think there's anybody in our church that would be open to foster care with the possibility of adoption? Now, this was somebody who was regular in our church, and I'm just thinking, well, that's just the oddest thing. That's all we talked about yesterday. What do you mean, do I think there's anyone? So I don't text him back. I pick up the phone and call him. I said, hey, man, we're, what's up? Were you, were you in church yesterday? No, we, we can't really come. Um, he was 67 at the time. He said, my wife, he had just been remarried a year. He said, my wife and I, um, we have our great-granddaughter, she was taken from my granddaughter's home because of just abuse and neglect and um, other issues. And she's never been around children. She was born blind. Um, we, we can't really bring her to church. Um, but pastor, I don't, I don't even know if my new marriage can survive this. And so that's why I asked the question. I said, man, you called on a good day. I think I've got about a dozen people on a list that signed up last night. This is all we talked about at church yesterday. Let me go. And as those words begin to come out of my mouth, I stopped. I said, I think one of our pastors has a list in his office. Let me check on that. But let me call you back in about 24 hours. And my heart was just stirring. And I made a quick call to Kimberly. And that evening when we got home, told her the full story. And, and I said, do you think that could be us? And she said, I think that's us. And in 24 hours, God had changed both of our hearts and began a process which then brought our precious daughter into our family. Her name's Anaya. She rules the world. She's the princess of the Purvis Pact. She is pretty confident one day she will be a ruler of the world. And so um, we'll tell you more about her as we journey along. Life reality number one is simply that truth. Um, this is us. We, we are all bringing something into this. Life reality number two, it takes a village. <laughs> now, I'm old enough to remember, I think it was Hillary Clinton that uh, first kind of made that a, a big phrase. And she got a lot of bad press from a lot of people. And, oh, it shouldn't take a village. This is a parent's job. Let me just tell you something we've learned. And I, this is not political. If you want to ask me privately what I think about Hillary Clinton, I can probably tell you that. But as a parent, I've learned it takes a village. This is hard work. And, and so what we've discovered is that's not really new. I'm not going to read this passage, but you'll be familiar with it. Something interesting happens in Luke chapter 2. In Luke chapter 2, it begins in verse 41 by saying every year people would go to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. Y'all know where this is going? So Mary and Joseph, they load up their little baby who's now grown up and he's a young boy. And they're taking him to Jerusalem. And by, by the time we get about 10 verses down, we learn something pretty amazing has happened to the Son of God. Yeah, see, I'm like Mary. Just saying. <laughs> He's referring to Disney. Um, they lost Jesus. Do you remember this story? But here's what's interesting. Do you remember when they realized they lost Jesus? 
They were traveling down the road on their way home. Now, while this is not implicitly in Scripture, you know what that says to me? They trusted the village. That was part of how children were raised. You, you were a community. And so it was no big deal that, that their young son was not running along beside them. He was probably back with his friends or their parents. <laughs> now, come to find out, the story ends a little differently, but that's another story for another time. Here's what I want you to know. We make choices about who or what will most influence our children. And those choices make our children who they become. So I told you tonight, all I'm doing is like, I'm just telling you the truth. I'm just showing you reality. And one of the realities you've got to embrace is we're coming into this as individuals with some preconceived ideas, that's who we are. We better be aware of that, make any adjustments necessary because we don't reproduce what we want. We reproduce who we are. The second reality is, though, we also make choices, and those choices are going to determine our children. And some of those choices are intentional. Some of those choices we just stumble into. So one of the choices you make is you, you hang out with family. That's where you spend a lot of the time. But I realize I'm in a military community, so you can probably relate to us as a ministry family. Family wasn't always biological family. Speak to that just for a moment. Yes, we had plenty of aunts and uncles that I am so eternally grateful for that have come alongside us um, in helping raise our children. They, they still... Uh, our children still talk about them and the influences and whether or not this is young men or even young ladies that would watch them when they were younger and young men that, that they're in each other's weddings and they've grown up together and they're, they have such an influence our life. We lived, um, we've never lived, lived close to their real uncles or their real aunts. And so that is something that has been just vital to us that they, they had an extended family and that that extended family and those those people knew Jesus, and they're able to say things to them, and they'll listen to them when they may not listen to us, and you know what? That's okay, because I've entrusted them with my children, but I've also, we're also very careful. I never forget the time that, that we even had a, a friend that my, my oldest son wanted to go to their house, and they were in junior high, maybe even freshmen, and Paul was like, that's great. I haven't ever met him. I'm going to go hang out with his dad for just a, a, little, a little dinner. We're going to have some coffee. Yeah, so we met for breakfast, me and the father. And I just said, hey, before my son comes and hangs out over at your house, tell me a little about who you guys are. We, we talked about were they people that shared our faith, that shared our values. So what we're trying to tell you is you're making these choices and those choices are going to make your children. So there's family, but then I would just put like several question marks. What's this second thing for you? Can I tell you what it is for a lot of families today? It's sports. So that sports team, that's who they're with most of the time. Or maybe it's school. Or maybe it's some kind of other hobby or interest, uh, music or, or dance or gymnastics. And these are not bad things. But what we have to acknowledge, where they spend their time, that becomes the village. And the village that we choose 
is making an impact on our family. So what we would say, of course, is one of the big things you've got to choose is church, right? And I'm preaching to the choir because you're at church on a Friday night. So that's, that's easy. But, but we're just saying that, that church should be a part of that big village because that's where they should be learning the things of God. Now, both of us grew up in church. So I would say some of the worst things I've ever learned, I learned from church friends. So we're not saying church is a perfect place. We remember a funny story with one of our sons. I can't believe I'm fixing to tell this story. But I don't know if y'all have Awanas. Y'all have Awanas? The kids program on Wednesday it's a, it's a kids program, um, but they divide them up in little groups. And um, my son came out of his class. You know, he went every Wednesday. He learned about Jesus. Well, this time he came out, and he learned that that middle finger went from being just the longer, longest finger on his hand to having a meaning. And one of the little boys that was sitting next to him as they're supposed to be coloring their sheet about Jesus was explaining to him how he learned about that lovely middle finger. And to which then, because we're in a minivan with all my other children, all my other children got to learn about the big middle finger and what it got to mean. Luckily, the little boy really didn't understand all that it was supposed to be said, but they knew it was bad. But anyway, that's one great thing that we got to learn yeah, Noah from came a home. Do you re- church. Did, Mom, did you know the middle finger is the bad finger? I mean, so we're not saying that church means everything's going to be great coming out of there. But we want you to understand you get to choose who the village is that's influencing your family. So choose wisely. Our time's about to be up, and and this last one's a doozy. So I want you to take just one minute. And again, if you're together, uh, you can talk about it, but you might just write it down. Here's the way I would do it. I'm I'm not a mathematician, but I think this is helpful. What if you broke it down in percentage and say, 25% of my village is blank. 30% of my village is the soccer team. Think about that just for a minute. Think about your village. What's influencing your family? Okay, let's see if we can wrap up this first session. These life realities. Number one, is, it's just that understanding. You got to know who you are. This is us. What am I bringing to the table? What we have we brought into parenting? Some of it's good. Some of it may not be good. And, and when you recognize that, that's when you can make adjustments. Number two, it takes a village. Who's in your, are you being intentional about your village? That's all we're asking. I think the biblical mandate would be be intentional about the village. But number three, this will kind of be our diving board into tomorrow. I would just call this, but God. As a pastor and and as a Christian, I, I love 
the but God passages in Scripture. Let me give you one of my favorites. It's in Ephesians chapter 2. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made alive together with Christ, by grace you've been saved. And raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that the coming ages he might show immeasurable riches of grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Why is that such a great passage? Oh, I I wish we had time just to teach that. It, It reminds us that in spite of who we are, in spite of us, but God shows us grace. Why? I think that's found in those last verses I read. In the original language, it says we are his, it's a great word, poema in the Greek. We get the word poem from it. We are his masterpiece. Here's what I want you to understand. The children that God has given you are his masterpiece. That he's entrusted to you for a season. Your job is not to make them the greatest athlete they can be. Your your job is not to make them the best musician they can be. Your job is not to make them the best scholar they can be. Your job is to introduce them to Jesus so that they are more and more transformed into his image in their daily life. I I think James and I have talked about this in the past, but, but one of the things I like to remind parents is that it's unlikely our children will prioritize the things that they watch us marginalize. So if the things of God are important to you, then you can't let them be accidentally important to your children. And just having them at church when church is open, again, we've talked about the village, that's not going to be enough, is it? Because that's not enough of the hours. That's not enough of the time. So so what do I do? What are some things I can build on that relationship with God? We'll, We'll try to spend more on these tomorrow, but obviously, first of all, is your time with God. They need to know that those times with God are important. So so that needs to be modeled in the home. I love the fact that our daughter, every night when I'm home, she'll come find me at the appropriate time, and she'll still climb up into my lap, though she's getting really tall, and she'll say, all right, Daddy, it's time to pray. And she's a prayer warrior. I wish you could understand what a big deal that is, the background she came from, but she loves to talk to God. I don't... don't mean to interrupt, but it, you just sitting there saying that reminded me of when she first came to us and, and we would pray as a family. And here's all our boys sitting there growing up, praying together as a family. And she would literally make noise the whole time. <laughs> Anything she could do the entire time we pray. And we just go, keep praying, keep praying, keep praying. And now to know that, I mean, of all our children, probably she desires to pray more than any of them. It's just a miracle to see what God can do. But that didn't happen accidentally. We had to train her up in understanding the importance of time with God. Secondly, I would just say the word of God. My mom is 86. 
Like I said, in addition to raising our children, we're now raising our moms. <laughs> they both live just 10 minutes from us. Um, wow. My mom instilled God's word into my heart as a pastor. Most of the verses that I quote today, my mom taught me those scripture. The Bible says, your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. If we want our children to understand the but God realities of life, they need to know about the word of God. And then last is the people of God. We want to surround them with the people of God. And why is all this so important? Ah, again, another passage I wish I could read. Just write down Genesis 22. You read it tonight. It's one of the great parenting moments in Scripture. Some of you know what I'm referring to. Abraham, very, 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 very old Abraham, who's now a father. God's answered his prayer. And then God says, okay, take your son and sacrifice him. And Genesis 22 tells us that, that when Abraham climbs that mountain, his son's literally talking to him and saying, what, what are we doing, Daddy? Um, we're going to sacrifice. Well, Dad, where's the lamb? God will provide. I mean, can you just imagine, as a parent, we were talking, we can't even imagine that moment. And yet here's Abraham in obedience and to the point that he, he's, he's placing his son on the altar. And God provides. And there, there's so many spiritual and doctrinal realities we could take from that. But among the biggest is this reality. When we give our children to God, he gives them back to us to steward for his glory. Before I pray for us at the end, maybe Kimberly, you could just share something God's taught you in this regard. Yes, over the last year, um, our, our baby boy went off to college. And so even though we have Anaya in many ways, um, it was, it's very much an empty nest. I'm, I'm missing my boys terribly. And then on top of losing my father, it's just been a, a struggle. I've been asking God a lot of questions and, and really just kind of sad, honestly, a little depression over just missing my boys and missing that interaction even for Anaya and, um, and then when he brought up, when we were planning for this conference and he started talking about this scripture that I've just never understood. As somebody who always wanted to be a mom, like, God, how could you do that? How could you put that father through that, you know? And um, as I was just being honest with God and, and crying out to him during this time, he made it so clear to me that I did not allow you to be a mom. I did not give you these precious children for your happiness and for your joy, that's extra. That's the abundant life I give you. That's, that's a blessing of family that I, create, that I created. I, I created these children for my glory. I created them so they will grow and they will worship me. Your job has been to train them to love me, to know me, and to desire to worship me. I have a job for them. 
Our only job is to worship Jesus and to, and to follow his plan. They're his. They weren't created for me. They were created for him. At the end of our lives, I just want you to understand something. At the end of our lives, we will not be judged based on what we've acquired materially to pass on to our children. But we will be accountable for how we've stewarded them as trophies of grace given to us by the Lord. That's why this is so important. And here's what's amazing that makes this gospel-centered parenting. Our God gets this. Because in Romans 8, right after that great verse, Romans 8, 28, he says in verse 32, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? We believe, based on the truth of the gospel, that God in his grace will give you everything you need for this parenting journey. But that begins when you surrender it back to him. I remember when our 27-year-old, and they're all different, by the way, all five of ours and then Rebecca, they're all different. Our 27-year-old, we woke up to a text from him yesterday. Good morning, Mom and Dad. I don't have time to talk, so please don't call. Uh, but just FYI, I've got a girlfriend. Um, they're all different. But I remember Montgomery, Alabama, holding him in our arms after the grandparents have left, saying, God, you've given us this child. We now give him back to you. At the end of anything we or anybody else could say, that's what we believe you got to do. Would you bow your heads with me? I think we've stretched over our time just a few moments, but I just want to encourage you. We spent some time in the two other areas. What about this but God area? Where is it in your parenting where you would just say, God, I, I don't think I can do this without your grace? Or where is it that you need to give him gratitude, that you need to tell him thank you because you look back and we're going to have to have an agreement that nobody tells that I just told that story about my oldest son. But we would tell you that's just an answer to God's to prayer of God's grace in our lives. So where are those in your life? Where, where has God answered those prayers? And then what are the adjustments that need to be made? Just take a few minutes with him.